1: must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everyone, we are here with Susan Stiffelman today, and she
0: is the author of parenting with presence as as well as um, parenting without power struggles Um, and we're going to talk to her today about how we can parent with more presence and be more wholehearted and mindful in our parenting so welcome Susan. Hey thanks Felicia for having me I'm glad to be here. So can you just introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners before we dive in? Well, I'm happy
2: to. Uh, I am a marriage and family therapist. I'm also a credential teacher and have been working with families for over 40 years, in one capacity or the other, doing counseling, support, educational therapy, parent education, and of course, I'm a mom too of a of a now 30 year old, which is hard to believe. Wow. For many years, I was the weekly advice columnist for the Huffington Post mm-hmm. and for AOL and for Ask the Therapist. So, I've been addressing the concerns of parents for a long, long time from pretty much every demographic, and uh, and on the side there, I'm. I'm kind of no longer in the closet meditator since mm-hmm. I was 17. And that means for, gosh, oh, my gosh, almost 50 years, 40-something <laughs> years, I've been meditating in one form or another, and I'm still learning how to do it. But it is um, pretty much a cornerstone of everything. It matters the most to me that I move through my day anchored to something beyond whatever I'm you know, engaged in Uh, action-wise, and I think that's something that you and I were briefly chatting about Mm -hmm. beforehand that won't come as a surprise to some of your listeners that we fold that into everything that we do because I see parenting really as a, not only the pragmatics, but as a spiritual or transformational path that we can grow and learn from along the way.
0: Of course, and so many of our listeners will connect there. We talk so much about meditation and and mindfulness and for sure it comes up in the day-to-day with our kids I think just at the base of it is the sanity we can have yeah yeah so let's dive in I want to talk a little bit about um in parenting with presence you recognize that our children can kind of be sent here to conjure up if you will some past issues um And how can we see this as a chance to heal as we care for our kids and for ourselves?
2: Well, I I see the possibility in the rough moments of parenting, of us resolving or healing something that kind of is unhealed or unresolved in us, possibly from our own childhood or from other aspects of our life or our temperament or personality. It's not always the case, but quite often you'll find that a parent, let's say a parent who's kind of mellow and likes things orderly and, you know, kind of predictable will end up with a child who's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, pretty chaotic and Mm -hmm. impulsive and noisy and loud or, or, you know, sometimes we have a child who's temperamentally similar to us and, and it's just easier, but oftentimes we have the very best fit for us if we want to kind of move through something where we're rigid or in resistance to certain aspects of life. So I see those opportunities. We don't always take them, of course. Mm -hmm. We often will clench up and resist and, you know, be frustrated and angry at how our child is showing up or how they're behaving when we get triggered by it. But and that's pretty normal i mean i'm not saying that you don't get triggered just because you try and maintain a perspective of seeing the child's behavior as a chance to to resolve and heal something you, you can have both things be true mm-hmm. but when we uh take things a little less personally and we try and pull the camera back some of the time and see that not only are we being called upon to Listen very patiently to a very long story about a lizard and an elf, you know, (laughs) when, when we are completely exhausted and have 10 other things we'd like to be doing. That sometimes in those moments, we could just check in with ourselves and notice the narrative. Oh, my gosh, I have so much to do. I can't believe she's still not wrapping up this story. You know, I'm trying to be a good parent. I'm not a good parent. I'm so impatient. I should be more understanding. That I should be like that lady in Instagram who just sits there reverently looking in her children's eyes, or <laughs> so it seems. <laughs> We can notice that that's the the narrative and be so kind toward ourselves and say, yeah, and I'm really having a very difficult time listening to this story. Mm -hmm. And maybe even chuckle about it. Um, And maybe even with great love, say, sweetheart, your story is really important to you. And I'm so glad I got to hear part of it. And you might be disappointed. And now I'm going to go and um, check on the baby or, you know, Mm -hmm. get dinner in the oven. So there's a way that we can manage those frustrating moments that allows us to just do it with more grace and, and kindness both toward our kids and ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. And would you say it's in that um, noticing and maybe um, accepting of how you're feeling towards it that we can start to find the healing? Yeah. You know, most of us, we had parents who did the best they could, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And and that that
2: varies a lot. For some people, the best their parent could do was pretty amazing and for some it was you know they barely were fed Mm -hmm. and and so of course this is not something kind of uh consistent across the board but in general when we are just noticing and we we turn what people will be i'm sure familiar with mindful loving awareness toward what what we're feeling the tension the clenched fist the you know the um sweat pouring down our face if that's what's <laughs> happening. Sort of the, and also the, the mental kind of narration of, of what's happening when we can not be judgmental toward it, but just embrace it. In fact, I have a newsletter and we send it out, you know, pretty often with a lot of support from parents. And just today I sent out uh, an essay about just an exercise that I invited parents to do to check in with themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, And to be okay with whatever was true, whether they felt tired or in pain or joyous or excited or overwhelmed or resentful. And I've already gotten some responses back from parents saying, thank you so much, I needed this today. Because, you know, it's important to interrupt kind of the momentum that we get into to step back and say and take that pause. How how, how am I in this moment, you know, and when we're not okay, when we're frustrated or we really it's one of those moments where we secretly wish, gosh, why, why do they have kids? Or is there mm-hmm. some other grownup that could come take over for a few days mm-hmm. that, that we don't judge it, that we recognize, of course you feel that way at times. And what do I need in this moment to feel okay or to make it through or to get the support that will help me?
0: Right. That's such a beautiful way to look at it with acceptance. And then what can I do? Because, um, if, we, if we're acting from that anger, anger place, I think that's where we end up with a lot of uh, reaction instead of responding, and then we start to feel that guilt, yeah. which is, or I guess it's more shame in that moment.
2: I was going to say it's shame, and what shame does is it, it puts the child in charge of our well-being. Mm-hmm. So if, if my child's behavior is really triggering me, if it's making me feel even if no one else is watching, if it's making me feel that I'm not a very good or patient or loving or attentive parent, or there's something wrong with how I'm parenting because I have this wild child, then I need my child to behave better so that I can feel better about myself, less shame. Mm -hmm. And it sets you up for this inappropriate dependency on the child to behave in such a way that the shame goes away. And so shame is is really the, the... not our friend ever mm-hmm. you know a little bit of remorse is fine if we mm-hmm. yelled at our kids it might propel us to make repair later but shame is is really um pervasive among parents first of all I think most parents feel some degree of shame a fair amount of the time or at least sometimes but it serves no real purpose it really is just some old mechanism often from childhood because many of us were shamed and guilted when we misbehaved, because it was sort of the only technique our parents had at hand, and we've internalized it.
0: Right. So can you, because I think this is such an important point for parents and just for life in general, that we're putting our happiness dependency on outside circumstance. So could you break down a little bit what that might look like day to day just with our kids?
2: When we do it? When, when we, we do the thing we, we prefer not
0: to do? When, we shame, when we're shaming ourselves um, based on their happiness or their sure. behavior. Sure.
2: So, you know, little Tommy is um, teasing little Betty, you know, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and maybe it brings up for us our own childhood when we were the Tommy, the older child teasing a younger or maybe the younger one who was being teased. And we had resolved not to repeat that pattern, and there it is happening right before our eyes. And inside of, first of all, there may be a lot of sadness, but we, we often won't recognize the sadness. It'll be masked or layered over with anger or frustration. Tommy, I've told you, stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, now that anger that I feel toward my older child, who's teasing the younger one, is not only on behalf of the younger one who i have you know hopefully some mama bear instincts about protecting it may also be how did i end up raising a tommy who does this we are a loving family we meditate we go on yoga retreats we you know Mm
0: -hmm. we
2: pray we whatever we you know bang the tambourine whatever it is that we do (laughs) in this effort to kind of maintain a sense of of love and loving kindness in our family and there right in front of us is a violation of that Mm and so that that maybe panic is too strong a word but that fear like how did this happen when i was so resolved not to create that kind of climate in our household now if you if you don't catch yourself and most people have trouble catching themselves because this happens so quickly then the resentment toward tommy if i could just get tommy to be loving toward little betty then this wouldn't be going on so i might really kind of come down pretty heavily on tommy i might come in and rescue little Betty who maybe doesn't need to be rescued maybe she needs to advocate for herself or maybe the two kids just need some coaching because sibling conflict is is a wonderful opportunity for children to learn how to resolve conflicts if if they get help Mm -hmm. Um, but then if I'm if it gets more and more layered with my own emotions and unresolved stuff then I might feel like what would people think, especially if I'm at the park and this is going on, and I think people are now watching me and judging me and pointing at me in their head, like, "How? what kind of mother is that, that she can't control her children? Mm -hmm. Then the shame really kind of starts to take over the self-consciousness, the insecurity that we all feel as parents. And, And guess who could make that all go away by behaving differently? Tommy, right? Right. So now... You know, In my work, you may know that I talk about three ways that we can raise our children or interact with our children. One is the, the calm, present, loving captain of the ship. Mm-hmm. The second is as a lawyer where we're arguing and negotiating and explaining and justifying when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. And the third is the dictator. And the dictator is when we're uh, feeling out of control and desperate and exhausted and unappreciated, we try and regain some semblance of control by intimidating and bribing and threatening our children. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the captain is not in control, the captain is in charge. So these are the three ways, the captain of the ship, the lawyer, and the dictator. And I use my hands to illustrate those three ways of relating with my right hand representing the parent hand and the left hand representing the the child. And if you were looking at me, you'd see that in the captain mode, the right hand in front of, I'm holding them both in front of my face. Mm -hmm. The right hand is above the left. When you're in lawyer mode, the two hands are side by side with neither hand above the other, meaning no one's in charge.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: with the dictator, the parent hand is below the child. So if I need Tommy, if Tommy is the salvation of Tommy, if I could just get Tommy to behave in a respectable way so that people approve of me, then how can I most quickly do that? Well, by bribing or threatening Tommy.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: now you see me in dictator mode feeling inside fairly panicked and desperate, and pulling out all the stops, whether I'm going to yell at him, I'm going to bribe him, I'm going to shame him. Right. right, Because if I can get him to do what I think is, is the right thing or, or going to make me look good or not feel this discomfort, then mm-hmm. I'm no longer in that realm of shame. And so it sets up a cycle that we tend to you know keep repeating.
0: And you're really leaving the decision to your child because yeah. um, i mean they get to choose do they care if you yell do they care whatever you do and then their reaction is controlling your happiness where it sounds to me like you're saying if we are that calm confident captain it, you set the boundary and then whatever they do however they freak out or bounce against those boundaries we're accepting of that but it's not weighing on us
2: yeah we recognize us so if Tommy won't stop, then there's a million ways I would approach that. One might be, well, I always ask the question, why does this behavior make sense? Mm-hmm. So if I ask that question, then I may find out that Tommy is tired, hungry, feeling shortchanged on attention, um, that his little sister actually provoked him and I just didn't see it, that he's desperate for some connecting time with me and he knows that's a surefire way to get it, uh, that he's you know, dysregulated, that some other child at the park did or said something to him and he's just dumping it on his sister. There's so many ways as the captain of the ship that I can approach this in a healthier way, but uh it does require that I don't take the behavior personally and that I don't need him to behave in a particular way so that I can feel better about myself or about my parenting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a response instead of a reaction. Yeah, I picture myself just like being picked up out of the middle of the mess and moved to the outside so I can see it more clearly. When I'm in my best parenting moments of choosing to do it like this, (laughs) it's not always the case. Maybe
2: few and far between, but you know, even if they're one every three days, like Mm -hmm. we don't set very high aspirations in my community. Like we just (laughs) any progress
0: is progress, right? So, I love the story in Parenting with Presence of the nails in the fence in Mm. in that book. Can you share that? And
2: sure, yeah, yeah,
0: kind of um, what goes along with that concept.
2: I can't remember now where I first encountered this story, but the story goes that, and I've told this to many kids in my office. um, The story goes that there was a a little boy who had a pretty rough temper and got very um, angry. And when he got very angry, he said very hurtful, spiteful things Mm -hmm. and also, you know, took things out on others. And in an attempt to help his son kind of get a handle on that, the the father of this boy said, every time you have an explosion of your anger, here's a box of nails and a hammer, and I want you to go and hammer a nail into that fence over there, that wooden fence. And so, you know, the, the boy did. After an episode of anger, he would go. Take a nail, hammer it into the fence, and eventually there were quite a lot of nails in the fence. But in the course of doing this, this process of becoming more aware of his anger, he started to get a handle on it. And I'm sure that, you know, if we looked at the story in more detail, there were other things that were done to help him as well. Mm -hmm. So then the father said, okay, well, every time you catch yourself and you stop yourself from an angry episode, go to the fence and remove a nail. And that's what the boy did and eventually all the nails were removed from the fence and the father said okay now let's walk over to the fence and they went to look at the fence and of course there were a lot of holes in the fence where those nails had been Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and his father said this this is just a way for you to think about your angry episodes that even when you've apologized that they've left an imprint just like those nails have left a hole that will always be there So this is just sort of a a way for you to recognize that your angry outbursts do have an impact that can last. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now, the, the beauty of this story is that awareness, you know, it's all about awareness, increasing awareness, and it's also about helping the child understand that, you know, doing something that is hurtful to another and then just sort of casually saying, sorry about that, Mm -hmm. or removing the nail, does not make the wound go away, that there's still an impact. Mm -hmm. The the downside of the story, upon thinking more about it since putting it in the book, is that I do believe that there are times when our frustration, our moments of explosiveness with our kids, for instance, the moments when we maybe not explode, but we lose our cool, we're impatient, we yell, that those actually can become ways of, of great intimacy and healing for our children when we make genuine repair. And that mm-hmm. means we go to our child after, let's say, we've lost our cool, because we always want to model for our kids what we ultimately hope they'll do. And let's say you've yelled at your kids this morning, and then later in the day, you, you know, you say, you guys, there's something I really want to talk about this morning. I got very, very angry And I yelled at you. Maybe it's one-on-one, one one parent, one child. And I wanted to say to you that I'm really sorry about that. Mm -hmm. And check in with you to see, because I'm wondering if that was kind of scary or if you felt kind of icky in your stomach when that was going on. Now, notice that what I'm not doing, Felicia, is justifying or explaining. Mm -hmm. I only yelled at you because I had asked you (laughs) three times to get in the car Mm -hmm. or to come to the table. Mm -hmm. I'm standing so solidly in owning my mistake. And this is how we teach children by example of what it looks and sounds like and feels like to take complete responsibility for our behavior, even when it's less than, you know, not what we wish it was. And so I'm so sorry, sweetheart, that I I lost my cool this morning. I, I I felt a wave of frustration. And I want to apologize and check in because I can imagine that felt scary to you. And I want you to know that I'm working on that because it's not It's not who I want to be with you or with anyone. Is there anything you need for me to Mm -hmm. feel better about that? Or can I just listen to you for a few minutes as you tell me, you know, what that was like? And then you genuinely listen. Now, if that can go on, and I talk in Parenting with Presence about the steps of a genuine apology, which I think we're not very good at Mm. culturally in general. But if that can go on, and there's humility and vulnerability in the mix then you are actually kind of healing the fence. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. In a way, the holes in the fence are getting closed up. The impact, the, long, the long-term the impact is is being addressed mm-hmm. in a way that actually can promote greater closeness and kindness and vulnerability between the two of you.
0: Right, yeah. I, I love this story. I think it's a really cool visual for our kids to be able to be self-aware um, of their impulses, but also, yes, I'm loving, I'm loving the flip side of what you're saying of also modeling and teaching them healing as well as a tool of self-awareness, and we, and we have to model that, and I think you're right with, whew, with apologies. It's hard to take yourself off the parenting pedestal and do a genuine apology with nothing attached.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'm still having these conversations with my 30-year-old.
0: Right. And they're
2: unbelievably beautiful. I can't even, I just can't even tell you how powerful they are, not only for our relationship, but I think for him to to be on the receiving end of, you know, you know, when you were younger and this thing happened or that. We don't go over very many things, but the big things we can talk about, and I think that it's it affects how he's going to engage with his own children, you know, one day and how he is with his partner. And, you know, to have that modeled is such a gift that we give our kids that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to pretend or justify that we've got it all together or blame them for the the times of where, you know, kind of lose our way that Mm -hmm. it also makes it more, um, okay for them to feel they, they can be imperfect because I often say just because you have a child doesn't mean you've, change species you know you don't become Mm -hmm. infinitely patient just because you've now got a baby you're still you and yes you do come up with levels of energy and patience and tolerance that you didn't know you had inside for sure but there is a cap to that and so in those times when we we intend to be present and mindful and we aren't and we you know get really caught up in the storm emotionally then a repair is a very beautiful thing for both us and our children.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Do you see any trends in... Um, when this cycle is is going on in a relationship where the parent is giving... Uh, almost like blaming their feelings that they're feeling or their anger or their, you know, yelling or anything on the child's actions. I feel like oftentimes... I see this cycle of then um, the child almost feels too powerful and like no yeah. no control by the parent. Do you see that trend, what I'm talking about?
2: <clears throat> Where the child picks up on the fact that they are capable of of knocking over the parent emotionally right. or psychologically. Yeah, right. I definitely see that. And a lot of parents who I work with, I have a membership program, and we so we get together every two weeks, so we get to go – these are people who often will stay for months if not years and we get to go consistently to work on breaking some of these old patterns mm-hmm. and we'll see um, parents who instinctively based on how they were raised and kind of what goes on are start out you know with the old thing of explaining and justifying and you know they want to be a little they think they're going to help their kids be more sensitive when they say things like you know when you yelled or when you kicked mommy that really hurt my feelings And and over time, they come to understand that my belief is that that's not, it's not really helpful to say, you're so powerful that you knocked me over, mm-hmm. that you derailed me emotionally, that you hurt my feelings. Because ultimately, we are responsible for whether our feelings get hurt by a 5-year-old or mm-hmm. a 12-year-old. Yeah. It's not the child's job to, to tiptoe around us or to even you know behave in a way that you would say, well, it's just normal and kind and decent. I'm not saying that kids should be allowed to you know, run over their parents by any stretch. I, I have, I'm a huge, huge proponent of civility and teaching children to have really nice manners and be respectful. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to announce to my child that they're so powerful that they made me cry or, or, mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. Now, of course, if your child hits you and bruises you, you can say, you know what, that was a really hot, strong hit. I absolutely will not allow it. My my arm is hurting, and I know that you love mommy, and that that wasn't what you wanted to happen. And I'm gonna help you learn to manage your hands and your legs, so that and arms, so that that doesn't happen. Because I know that underneath all the upset, that you're a really kind and sweet little girl, and that you wouldn't want you know to bruise your mama. But mm-hmm. um, we need to get get together on that. So it doesn't mean you're, you, you hide the impact, but to say, you know, you're driving me crazy, or you hurt my feelings, or you're making me cry.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: this it, is really uh, messing with the natural hierarchy where children are meant to be able to rely on their parents as that grown-up, that calm captain of the ship, even if the seas get stormy
0: right and speaking of modeling if if our kids can pick up on some of that and move forward with that into their adolescence and adulthood what a powerful tool they will have <laughs> for, for their yeah. relationships with others um so i'm going to try to connect something here that you talk about and if if this isn't down that same vein we can go a different route but you talk about being in charge versus being in control and it, it sounds like um, when our kids are taking those kind of impulsive meltdown tantrumy, um, you know, all the trigger when they're doing these triggering things for us, can we use that tool or that that way of thinking of being in charge versus being in control? We have so we have so many listeners that reach out and say, Do you have tips on managing these big triggering things, the meltdowns, the tantrums, the impulsive, the hitting, the yelling, you know, you know the things. Um, do you have any tips for those big behaviors? I know it's deeper than that, and a lot of families um, could benefit from ongoing looking into what's going on, but just baseline.
2: Well, being in control, think of it as if you're a captain on a ship, Mm-hmm. There's no way that you can control the waves. You might hit a storm. You just might. So mm-hmm. that's probably the closest I can come to explaining the difference between being in control. The captain is not going to be able to control the weather, but the captain can be in charge of the ship mm-hmm. as it sails through a storm. And that's what we're really talking about. So yes, there are my my work really focuses primarily on preventing problems because i think the vast majority of things that parents ask me about what should i say or do when my child is having a major meltdown in the grocery store what should i do when they're they're biting their sibling or what should i do when they won't go to bed or stay in their bed or do their homework i'm much more interested in how that situation how to avoid that situation than what to do in the moment. Because right. it's like playing whack-a-mole. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll say this and this, is it, but if they don't <laughs> respond, then say this other thing. And by the way, while you're saying that, the, the other kid may do this. So I don't, I don't really approach it as, here's what to do or say in the moment when your child's having a meltdown. I'm really, I see meltdowns, not always, but often, more often than we like to admit, as, a logical outcome of a series of events that if we rolled the camera back a couple of hours or even a couple of days, depending on, on the circumstance, we could have avoided. And I'm not saying that you should avoid all meltdowns or that if right. you child's having meltdowns, there's anything wrong. In many respects, a meltdown in a young child is just a discharge of big energy and frustration. Um, mm-hmm. And if we approach it differently, Janet Lansbury and I did a whole series on meltdowns and tantrums and whining and all that. Mm-hmm. And it was hugely popular. I think it's still on my website. But, you know, we, we talk about, you know, in, obviously in greater detail, some of the things that you can do. But we both agree that oftentimes that is the release of, of energy and how we show up in that moment. Can either prolong or reduce the duration and intensity of a meltdown or a tantrum. Mm-hmm. But in terms of in the moment, I you know I could probably give you a couple of ideas. One is don't talk a lot because <laughs> yeah. when a child is in an emotional storm, if you imagine that, and I'm going to oversimplify it, but if you imagine the left side of the brain, which processes more more is involved in processing language and logic and rational thought um th- that's the left side the right side of the brain is more involved in feelings emotion sense intuition art you know visual stuff that when a child is in the throes of a meltdown or tantrum or just about to, to launch into one they're over in that right emotional brain they're in an emotional storm and if you're talking a lot you're, you're knocking on the door of the left rational brain, but honey, we, the, the, pink, the pink cup is in the dishwasher, mm-hmm. but honey, you know, your brother didn't know you wanted the last cookie. They can't hear you, mm-hmm. and it actually can escalate the intensity of their feeling that they're feeling your panic, and you're throwing all these words out at them, and it um, is sort of counterproductive. So that's one thing that I advise parents to do when their child is in the middle
0: of a tantrum, if that's helpful. And so for our listeners, that sounds something like if you feel the need to say anything, maybe, I hear you, you really wanted the pink cup. And then it's the yeah. releasing of the emotions.
2: <laughs> yeah. Allowing and, them. And be careful about saying things like, I'm sorry, but your brother didn't know you wanted the cookie like mm-hmm. there's nothing to be sorry about i see this a lot with parents mm-hmm. that we, we instinctively say things like that because you know it's just how we all spoke speak it's probably how our parents did it um so i think that can send a mixed message i'm sorry but your brother wanted the cookie it's just a sweetheart you desperately wanted the cookie and mm-hmm. look at that he got to it first oh that's so hard yeah. oh baby And then a lot of clucking, you know, clucking, but not a lot of, but honey, if you had just come to the kitchen when I called you, then this, you wouldn't be in this situation because you would have seen the cookie first Mm. and you know, next time maybe, you know, blah, 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 blah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The teaching. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And so to your point, I agree having four pretty small kids, um, Mm. I, so they're all six and under. I... Definitely see that the preventing of situations where you can kind of know that if you get yourself there there's going to be that need to release energy by the nature of how little kids are. Um so if you can do some things like, you know, you're having the same fight over getting dressed in the morning, perhaps, you know, they just sleep in pajamas that could look like clothes and you take away the power <laughs> struggle. <laughs> And I think that, I, that yeah. I think there's so many preventions like that that as parents if you take a step out so picture moving yourself and look in and just see at least for me how I'm putting myself there really I could prevent that and and I think that's such it's brilliant to look there first before you worry about okay now I say this now they say this in the situation
2: yeah, we almost take it personally like this indignation. You know, I've mm-hmm. you these really nice clothes, and how could you not be wearing them? And, right. And, you know, I, yeah, it's an affront to my sense of authority that you're refusing to put your clothing on and all kinds of stuff like that, where, you know, kids are driven by whims and, you know, weather and emotional weather and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff that's, you know. So the more we can, you know, I love the work of Lawrence uh, Cohen, and he and I have done some classes together as well. Mm-hmm. He wrote the book, Playful Parenting. Yes. The more we can have a little bit of a light touch on some of this, that it's not all strategy. Sometimes it's just, what is it in me that is making this a bigger deal than it needs to be? Uh-huh. And you'll often hear that when you make a request of a child with, I need you to. Mm-hmm. I need you to mm-hmm. put your clothes on. I need you to come to the table. I need you to turn that off. Well, that can be very interesting for a child. If the child doesn't feel in strong connection with you, um, and that's a whole other topic for another time, <laughs> yeah. I talk a lot in my work about attachment, then the instinct that we all have to resist coercion, resist being forced to do things by someone we don't feel in that moment very close with, is awakened. so if we're not close if you've been spending all your time with the three other kids and i'm your child and Mm -hmm. you say i need you to do this thing it's like oh boy i'm off to the races now (laughs) i know exactly what not to do right make things a little more interesting so when we can you know put some of the neediness and desperation and the personal stuff aside that you know if you don't do this my child doesn't obey then they're not you know i'm not a good parent or there's something wrong with them or they're defiant and and be a little bit lighter you know put on a wig you know put on a funny mm. accent when you're making requests you know have your kids walk backwards to the dinner table mm. so you've injected a little bit of child friendly silliness into it and don't make everything quite so heavy then that can also be a really great approach
0: i love that we have a a breakdown of his book coming up so these oh, will great. these will play off each other quite nicely that book is phenomenal I love it. All right, Susan, I want to be respectful of your time, though. I have about, (laughs) you know, five more episodes that I could talk to you about here. I just want to ask you before we hop off, we ask all our listeners what new or not even new, what habit is helping you find the magic right now in your life? Uh,
2: Acceptance. Mm. Acceptance. You know, I've I've done a number of things with a woman that some of your readers might be familiar with named Byron Katie, who wrote oh, yes, Loving What Is and a whole bunch of stuff. And in fact, I just had an exchange with her a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, I just love the title of, of one of her most popular books, which is Loving What Is. And I think that when we are in challenging circumstances which we are now during this pandemic during all the the kind of stuff going on in the world that when we can anchor ourselves in a place of being a little bit more aligned with how things are and looking for the thank you in how things are the appreciation so acceptance alone it's not a a resignation like oh well i guess i have to accept this but with acceptance to me comes gratitude and I listened to an incredible TED talk just today by a Buddhist um, monk, a woman who, or maybe she's a Buddhist nun. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to designate her Mm -hmm. um, in her particular sect, but she talked about this mantra that she has discovered and been using, and the mantra is simply thank you. Mm. So I think that when we can move into thanks for however things are, even in those dark moments, and be grateful for something or some things about our lives or about the smile we exchange with our child or about the way the air feels on our skin and accept it with grace that our days just go, go better.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I agree. I love all of that, Susan. Thank you so much. And before we hop off, is there anything that you would like our listeners to know about um, your work, where they can find you, all of that?
2: Yeah, Sure. Well, my website is my name, Susan and whatever we have upcoming is always featured on the homepage right now. Mm. We're getting ready to do a free webinar that will still be available on co-parenting with a narcissist because we have a, a second membership on that topic for parents in need of that kind of support. Okay. And then we have our monthly membership program, which I believe is taking uh, waiting list registrants right now. We'll be releasing or opening that up very soon, and that's what parents get steady ongoing support it's very affordable and it's just so much fun to work with parents longer term and more personally
0: yeah and
2: uh you know there's a whole library of programs that are already recorded but still available on everything from chores and meltdowns and um anxious kids and self-driven children with incredibly uh respectable and and wise um co-hosts uh available on on my website as well under products Perfect. Well, oh, thank- and then oh. just ask, you know, why people, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to purchase or, right. or sign up for anything. But if you sign up for the newsletter, then you'll you'll get these um, free inspirations and essays and updates and all that. So that's also just on the homepage at com.
0: I love your newsletter, Susan. I am on it, and it is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So thank nice. you. Thank you so much for thank the work you. you do, and thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: If you like what you heard today, please share this with a friend or loved one. This means so much to us and it helps the podcast continue to grow. And if this podcast has meant something to you, there are three things that you can do right now that will help us immensely. The first is to subscribe or follow us. And you can do that by going to our page, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then if you tap on the upper right-hand corner, there is usually a plus sign or a subscribe button. And just go ahead and tap that, and that will allow you to subscribe or follow us. Which what this does is make sure that you never miss an episode, and it really helps us at Find the Magic. The second thing you do is share it with a friend. So if you like what you heard, um, send it to somebody or post it on social media. This does a ton to help our podcast continue to grow and for us to be able to make more episodes. And lastly, um, if you've enjoyed being here with us on Find the Magic, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star review. Um, we read every single one of those reviews, And we appreciate them so much. And we want you guys to know that we feel that you, our listeners, are our friends. And we're so grateful. Thank you so much for sticking with us on this journey. We have loved it. So let's find the magic together. (laughs) Brown cows.